are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 71. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Happy post-March for Science Day, everyone! <laughs> Just made up a day like this. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. Fine. Yeah, silly. because we're recording on a Sunday. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 23rd. Yeah, that was a very exciting week. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Did you march, people? Did you march? Not me. I don't want to talk about it. No. Okay. Why? Are you are you a bit bitter? <laughs> <laughs> you but you well, arranged one. Having been on the organizing committee of the Hungarian uh, of uh, March for Science Hungary and then not being able to be there was really disappointing. Oh, I would say. Dear. Yeah, it shows a I'm lack sorry. of commitment from your side. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Kick, More money. Kick, kick him. Why don't you wait while he's down? <laughs> <laughs> I was in Copenhagen yesterday. It was go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yes, we, I was going to say well, go Pontus, and you said go fuck yourself. <laughs> Different perspectives. We had a, a great time. It was I'm I, you know some newspapers said there were five thousand people, but I don't think it was quite that many. But my guess is like three thousand people. Uh, that's very it was, that's very good. Yeah, it was very that's good. A very good it turnout. I I met a few persons that I knew. And uh, we had a good time. It was uh, a little bit cold, actually. It was sun was shining, but it was windy as hell and uh, a bit chilly. Uh, but uh, still, a lot of people were there, and it was nice. And it was great to be part of this huge international uh, movement. Yeah. It felt uh, really good. Uh, for a while, I was watching the the live um, broadcast from Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. I I did not uh, expect that huge of a turnout and and that massive number of performances and everything. So so it was a huge event, and I'm I'm a bit surprised that in Copenhagen it was about three thousand people, mm-hmm. um, especially because the the one in Budapest only had about two hundred. That's even even not even that. Mm-hmm. Probably because I wasn't there. Um, but <laughs> me, the massive superstar, stayed stayed away. And uh, yeah, there. no, actually, there were lots of other things happening. There was a there was a, a, a great bike race uh, with thousands of participants, and then the the Hungarian um, fake, not it's not fake. So the the, the Hungarian parody party held. Um, a march for the government, uh, which was funny, very, very funny, because they that, that's that's what they do. But but they attracted more people, I think. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so yeah, that's just the kind of thing. But in was it in Berlin or Heidelberg, where eleven thousand people marched? I, I don't know, but I, I saw I saw reports from different oh. cities all over the world and. It was it was great. It was good. It was I, I I followed it. It was Sydney. It was it was Washington, as you mentioned, and in and in London as well. Mm, yeah. yeah, we had uh, definitely yeah, good. I was it was nice. It it was a much bigger success than I think anybody expected. Well, yeah. if you I, go I back think, a couple of weeks ago, I think in America it's taken um, somewhat an anti-Trump stand. In the U.S., I think it was more. It's not just politicized, but it was more partisan in in the U.S. than it's been in in the rest of the world. But that's understandable. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people wrote about it actually. Um, even Stephen Novella on on Neurologica and uh, Skeptic uh, wrote an article about it. Uh, actually, it was Rebecca Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but they were trying to to work out how how politics and science are interconnected and um, and how politicized this event should be. And I'm pretty sure that we still, for example, I I do know for a fact that in Hungary during the the organization process, we were trying hard not to be 
massively politicized. But I think that was a mistake. Mm. Uh, especially because in Hungary, there, okay, we don't have an, a Donald Trump, but we do have an, a Viktor Orban. And, <laughs> uh, and he's almost as terrible when it comes to disregarding facts and just, just, ignoring facts whatsoever and and making decisions based on uh just what he thinks right at the moment hmm. so yeah it's it it would have made sense to to actually politicize it and uh especially because we could have channeled it to the ongoing protests against the the closing of the Central European University, which is a massively political attack against um, a higher educational institution. You might have heard about it. Um, it was all over the news. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. But it's that's no, my no surprise. I mean, I know that you have said that before, Andras, that we should be, get involved in, in political uh, uh, issues. And I, I yeah. think that's different than being taking a stance for a particular party you don't have to take party politics is one thing but taking a stance in certain uh, important issues that are of a political nature that's that's absolutely what we should do we need to do that yeah and obviously politics is is more than accepting the scientific facts because science itself cannot call value judgments so it's you you have to add that in if you're making a political decision but but facts should be considered and and that's an important message i think and uh, i do agree with that um that conclusion that we should be involved and scientists should not shy away from getting involved in politics but obviously party politics and ideology is not what we're after but science should have a representation in decision-making on the highest levels as well. Mm-hmm. And we cannot expect politicians to, to be science-savvy. So we have to have people who are ready to go into politics to some extent who are actually science-savvy or come from our scientific background. Mm-hmm. Interesting that you mentioned it, actually, because when I was in Copenhagen, I managed to get one interview with one person in the in the march there, and we came to talk about that as well uh, about the politicizing the, oh, the march okay. or, or not so so maybe we should play that uh, short interview right now yeah why not all right so i'm here at the march for science in copenhagen and i ran into trine boy mortensen she is uh, uh, organizing the skeptics in the pub events here in copenhagen together with a few others let me know why why do we do this yeah but i think the the um the important part is in fact just to sh- i mean i'm not a scientist myself but to show the support of uh, a, a reality based worldview and politics yeah. not least because that has to be the important part here is that we're not seduced by non facts and uh, politicians just having opinions yeah. but it's fantastic how, how what a what a what a success this has been. Yeah, we it, were it, just one of out of maybe five hundred cities today doing this. I think it was even more than five hundred cities, and I'm absolutely amazed at the turnout here today. Uh, even though it's windy and uh, still cold spring, uh, the, I think we have quite a few people here. Yeah, several thousand. Uh, yeah, least, several yeah. thousand people, and it's uh, it's yeah. it's a nice turnout, really. Yeah, yeah it's very good. Do you think there is a risk? You, you mentioned politics. Uh, there's yeah. been uh, some criticism uh, put forward saying that we are politicizing, or there's a risk that this kind of thing politicizes uh, science, and science should be above and beyond politics. What do you say about that? Uh, there, there, it's, it's, nothing can be above and beyond politics. I mean, it's, I think it's silly. I mean, it's, it's, the, the thing is that science is political, yeah. no matter what. And, and then you just have to be as vocal about what you want your science to be uh, political about. Yeah. And this, this is about that as well, yeah. I think. Political decisions need to be based in science. Exactly. At least some of them. I mean, there are other issues sometimes, but... Yeah. And, and, and science needs to be aware of when politics are 
driving them forward or stopping them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, so thank you very much. It's been very uh, good meeting you, and we will continue to march here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for that. Uh, Anything else? Well, yes. We uh, listeners to the show know that we have had an interview with Bethania Palmer from Snopes.com last week. And she got back to us uh, after listening to this, and she has a correction to make. And that's something that I should have picked up as uh, as well, because she said uh, several times that the big influx of uh, immigrants into Sweden was in uh, 2016, but what she meant to say was 2015. It doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't change her analysis or her conclusions in any way. But she was a bit embarrassed when she listened to the show and she realized, oh, my God, I misspoke. It was the wrong year. Uh, so uh, it was 2015. And, and I should have picked up on that as well. During 2015, Sweden had their borders fairly open. And, you know, we accepted uh, immigrants uh, very freely. And then in December 2015, the policy changed almost overnight and we started to, we meaning Sweden, started to be very hard on checking documentation and stuff for people mm-hmm. who came into the country. But it doesn't change anything of uh, of her uh, analysis, which is that if there was some sort of unrest there has been a few small very small incidents in sweden they have not been perpetrated by people coming in during that wave these are people who have been in sweden for a long time so it's not related to the to the recent immigration wave at all it it it's other things so so she says hi and she mm-hmm. liked to be on the show and uh, she wanted to make uh, this correction and uh, yeah, that's a, a good example of what we actually discussed during the interview about making corrections when you get something wrong, even though it's not necessarily a, a, a big part of your argument, you still want to be factual and you still want to be correct in every detail of what you say, because that's the, the basis of credibility. So, yeah, we do appreciate that. And, exactly. Uh, That's the difference between us and the other clowns. We, we, if we do say something wrong, we, we admit it and we change it and we correct it because we want everything to be uh, up to snuff. Great. Um, and on that note, I think if uh, we have said something in the last couple of weeks, month... Um, Yes. That that our listeners don't agree with or or you spotted something that that we actually got wrong, please let us know. But don't just do that. Please also let us know if you like something and uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, topic suggestions or you want to um, uh, draw our attention to your events or anything that you organize or uh, is around your area and we don't necessarily have access to, please get in touch with us. And yes, you can do that in various ways. Uh, you can email us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. Um, you can also use Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. You can uh, go on our website, which is theesp.eu, and fill in the form, or you can follow us on Facebook. Um, if you get our podcast via iTunes, um, please don't forget to leave a nice review for us there and spread the word. Thank mm-hmm. you! Absolutely. <laughs> So, so if you go to the website, please also check out the, the events page that we have. We have lots of events uh, coming up and added to the calendar. There are skeptics in the pub all over the place. There is uh, the Skepcon in Berlin, for instance, starting on the 28th. And uh, if you like what we're doing, we wouldn't mind if you send us uh, a euro or two by clicking on the donate button. So visit our webpage. That's good. All of that means that we are ready to move on to our regular segments, starting with This Week in Skepticism, presented by Yelena. So it, it seems to be some sort of a 
coincidence, I don't know if whatever you call it, but I, I keep finding these Italian saints. <laughs> why? Why? Okay, is... you have a thing for Italy. I, I don't blame you. First of all, why does Italy have so many saints <laughs> that claimed to have stigmatis and also became well known and became protectors of something or the other? It's well, a... I'm sorry, sorry for interrupting, but one of the things, one of the reasons why is yeah. that uh, because uh, religion is a big thing. It is. And the other, the other question could be, yeah. why was it that for 500 years there were no popes outside of from outside of Italy? I didn't yeah. know that. That's a very interesting mm. fact. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you might you might shed some light on something in Italy or, or the other. But so this I just did actually. Yes. Thank you. Uh <laughs> greatly appreciated. And um this particular saint I found for this week died on April 29th, 1380. Um and her name was Catherine of Siena. She was born in March 1347. Mm-hmm. So she was very young when she died, 33 years old. So I call her the girl with invisible ring and she claimed to have been wedded to Jesus Christ. And uh, that the Jesus Christ gave her the ring, but uh, but it was the one that she could only see herself, and nobody else could see it. Um, uh, <laughs> I have further uh, read that it was um, his um, foreskin ring, so that made Ooh. it all very interesting. Yes, she was very pious and religious uh, woman of the time mm-hmm. that rejected all the life. Uh, wealth and uh convenience and uh never married she was one that's of a, the... that's a common e- thing among co- very common. yeah except to <laughs> jesus though yes except for jesus of course she gave uh she gave her life to jesus <laughs> she was actually born into a family of 25 kids uh quite a lot of them died um and <laughs> she was expected to be married by the age of 12 but she refused Good girl. Her reasons for following the the church um, were that she, at, at the age of six, being six years old, she saw the vision of the saint um, once once when she was going back home from the, the church. Vision of the saint? Yeah, of Christ, seated in glory with uh, Apostle Peter, Paul and John. Good company. <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> but she, uh, so basically, yes, she was obviously deeply touched by the vision and um decided to 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 go down that route but she was also i, I read quite a bit about her and she I, it, she was the woman that I, I felt quite a, a lot of respect for because at the time the woman didn't have her own voice like i said girls were expected to get married at 12 follow men don't ha- didn't have their own voice um she refused all this and she became quite active in social life she helped the poor and the sick she committed her time to charity quite a lot and further she became uh, very politically involved in the current events um and even is credited with uh, making she was credited with persuading pope gregory to return the papacy from france to rome in 1377 and that's not no small deed Mm. she got all this authority because of the way she lived her life and people believed that she was real saint even at the time of her life um and even men uh, who had high ranks in the church uh, looked up to her which was i guess one way to gain their their uh, respect because they believed that this uh, kind of things like stigmatism and being married to christ is um well was real (laughs) and uh but, Even though it's quite weird, but yeah. Yeah, but it kind of... <laughs> yes, yeah, so she figured out the way of... But anyway, so she... Uh, Catherine uh, of uh, of Siena, she's got, she had a really big following. And I think still to this day, if anybody visits Siena in Italy, um, there's a lot of churches with her name, a lot of institutions, uh, schools, etc. And um, there's a lot of pilgrimage still to, to the place where she used to live because the house where she was born still stands to this day. From 1300s, that's amazing. So even though she did claim that she had invisible ring and invisible stigmatis, forgot to mention, uh, she was a great woman and um, politician in the 14th century, which I, I admire a lot. So I had mixed uh, mixed emotions as I was researching her, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I kind of did dig a little bit deeper. So now I'm kind of interested all around. 
Italian scenes of this period because it seems to be there's a lot that that that's gone on. Yeah, just uh, just be careful because they do have a lot in common sometimes. So so the, the, do you think <laughs> after a while it, it gets quite was, repetitive. Do you think yeah. there was some sort of like a perpetual influence? So one somebody hears about somebody else and they kind of. Yes, yes, and there have been a couple of saints um, the, yeah. who who have uh, who are known to have been influenced by. That's other right, saints. and I think last time so. when I was talking about this other person with stigmatis, we talked about current saint who who was then accused of copying. Um, yeah, Fa- Padre Pio. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Padre Pio didn't have a ring out of uh, invisible foreskin. Yeah, right? that's you can't. <laughs> That's you can't. Or really... am I misinformed? <laughs> no, no, and and he was actually, uh, he was actually accused by some of of using chemicals to to cause his own stigmata. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was much easier just to say, oh, they're invisible, you know. Yeah. When I get my stigmata, I, I'm definitely going to say they are invisible. Yeah. Kudos to Catherine for that, I tell you. But she did a lot of social good, so and re- and helped reform the church at the time, and. Uh, um, like I said, charity work. So hmm. whatever gets the, the 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 good deeds done, eh? Yeah, there are um, my my favorite ones are um, the blood miracles, and there are two of them actually. Yeah, um, I, I, I at least two two of them I know of uh, in Italy and uh, very close to one another. Uh, yeah. One of Naples, and the other one is um, in um, um, Ravello, which is um, in the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. So there is an act. There are actually actual chemicals known to behave as the that blood uh, yeah. or, or, uh, behaves, or, or they blood behaves. Can I just quickly say something? Because I think we have covered it in a very early episodes when I was doing the really wrong about mm. the blood blood fountain. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right then, that's it. That's me. That's it for me. All right, Catherine of Siena. Thank you. Good. I believe we've got um, a couple of news items to talk about yeah, from Europe and across the world. So yeah, let's move on to that segment. On episode sixty-nine, I talked about measles, so I wanted to uh, do a short update on that. Uh, first, I would like to have a minor correction. It's not a biggie, but I said that vaccine coverage in Sweden was 98%, but the real number is 97%. I just misspoke, so it doesn't change anything. Mm. But it, I want it to be correct, because we want to be correct. Mm. But then there is an article of, from the 17th of May on a site called outbreaknewstoday.com reporting on measles in Europe, which is, applies to what we talked about the last time. And their information comes from the U.S. CDC, the Center of Disease Control. Uh, You may remember that Italy was the second worst country after Romania uh, in my statistics for for measles. And this article reports that as of the end of March, so that's for the first three months of, of this year, Italy has had 1,333 cases of measles. Oh, And that can compare with... 860 for all of last year and that means if the increase stays linear uh, that we're looking about 3,400 cases for 2017 just in Italy Mm. that's an increase of 150 percent that's not the worst though another country which was high on the list for last year was Belgium I didn't talk about that because it was a little bit on the background but but it's still among the top seven for the first three months this year they have had 266 cases which compares to 80 cases in the full 12 months of last year same calculation linear uh, extrapolation and we have an increase by 1200 percent wow most of the uh, most of these cases were people who were not vaccinated or they didn't know if they were vaccinated. So we have a correlation between, or rather, I would say, a negative correlation between vaccination rates and and getting the disease. Mm. Then we go to Germany. Similar trend. First ten weeks 
of, of this year, they had 272 cases mm. compared to 323 for all of last year. So that's an increase of 420%. Yeah. So uh, um, we'll see what this is not looking good, people. No, definitely. Uh, measles is definitely going up in, in, in Europe. And I just hope that these projections are wrong and uh, it won't be that bad, but I think it will be. And also, in another related use, not from this article, there's a fresh report from Portugal of an unvaccinated 17-year-old girl who died from bilateral pneumonia as a complication of measles uh, recently. So it is not looking good and we will continue to monitor the measles and the vaccination rates in Europe going mm. forward. And the crackpots like uh, Andrew Wakefield and, and his company, mm -hmm. they keep marching against vaccinations and they keep crusading against vaccinations. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So what can be done? And this, um, so I just want to um, pick up on something that uh, Pontus talked about um, a couple episodes ago about Romania rates, vaccination rates and measles uh, epidemic that broke out recently. Uh, last week, it reached almost 5,000 cases. Uh, there have also been 21 deaths uh, in Romania, all of them in unvaccinated kids. And then Following multiple years of work, the health ministry has now proposed new vaccination law, which tries to cover multiple issues facing this country. And the law would make vaccination mandatory for school access. And then it would guarantee mm -hmm. that the Ministry of Health buys sufficient doses of vaccination uh, vaccines for one year um, of stock. And it would also compensate in case of vaccine injury. Yeah, it's, it sounds quite similar to the the Australian no jab, no play. Yes, and um, so they're going even further. They're going to also create commissions where those that refuse vaccina vaccinations could go and discuss their decision yeah. with medical doctors, which is, I think, a very yeah. great, great step. Um, the law is currently in the public debate, uh, uh, public debate part of the process. It will then follow the parliamentary course of review and vote before being signed into law by president. Now, this is great news i guess um i know that it's the law not in in effect yet but it's in the right tracks but i think it it's coming too late because yeah uh, it, so it, it's coming at a point where kids already dying from yes yeah, right from but but what can at this point this is a very sensible thing to do then of course they sh you could think they should have done it uh, a couple of years ago but still it's uh, at this point what can they do and I'm afraid to say that um, I think there'll be more of the same. And it'll be worse because before it becomes better. Yeah. You know, and this, this is, um, a, again, a legislative issue. So we are talking about policy again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm keen to, to discuss this all the time and every single time I have the opportunity. Because there there, there is an argument that science is democratic in a way and not democratic in a different way. So it should be democratic in a way that it, it's accessible to everyone. But on the other hand, it has to be based on its, its own evidence and and not um, a, a public vote. And no, can't, what, can't what seems to be happening... No, yeah. You can't vote on what's right or wrong. You, no, you the facts are facts. They're evidence. not going to change. Facts, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, not going to exactly. change. Yeah, and a public health issue is definitely an issue that can be scientifically examined and uh, and the results have to be considered and have to be uh, taken into account. And uh, yeah, when policy is made based on public opinion instead of scientific facts, that's what happens. Uh, so this is why governments should not shy away from actually coming up with these regulations that Yelena just talked about. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, governments or policymakers are um, stimulated and, and um, pushed to, to, to make these changes and policy changes when it's almost too late, when, when something like this happens. They're not yeah. somewhat, somehow they're not persuaded by scientists when scientists present them with reasonable facts. Way, way in advance, you know, years in advance, like, for example, with yeah. t uh, t climate change. But with climate change, it's going to be a totally different 
kettle of fish. We go, we, it's going to be probably some sort of a disaster of ma- massive magnitude before anything. Changes. Yeah, I, ju- I just I just saw an, um, a video on Facebook, and it was Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson explaining uh, mm. to Americans why science matters, and and I think it's the the closing few sentences that he says that if you deny something that is scientifically established as fact then you delay the action being taken on on that particular issue and when it comes to uh, uh, climate science that delay can actually be catastrophic in terms of the results so a scientifically established fact should not be denied by the public or if it's denied by the public policymakers should not take that into consideration. But I wanted to add on to what you said uh, about Neil deGrasse Tyson. He also mentioned that that um, people lost the ability to judge what's true and what's false. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they did not, basically, they, and now we are at the stage where people just deny scientific facts and they f- find that an acceptable thing to do. Um, yeah. and not just p- any people, but people who are, um, have p- power and uh, are in the policy making business. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I know we have actually discussed that, um, question about experts, um, because I, I, I do not like the uh, expression expert opinion. But if you define the word expert, or if you define expert to be someone who has access to the scientific facts, um, then I'm okay with that. But the problem is that we don't want to hear experts uh, talking about stuff. Um, and I'd like to move on to another topic that that is a very good example of that. Because I don't know if you've uh, read about it, but uh, an Italian court ruled that excessive mobile phone use was what led to the brain tumour a gentleman had. Yeah. And even though the science on this is not very clear, but every single thing that I could could find shows that... um, and I've, I've, I could find a, a couple of very good collections of um, of scientific um, papers and um, surveys and um, and um, investigations. So they the results show no effect whatsoever on health um, because the only the only possible effect that it could have on um, living tissue is actually the heat so it it emits heat and and it can heat up the tissue but it's not necessarily measurable Um, so that's that's basically the conclusion and still this court seems to have ruled that it was the actual cause behind the this tumor having developed and what i found um um, I um, even listened to um, an interview, an Italian interview on um, Il Fatto Quotidiano, punto Ooh, inti, which very is pretty. which sounds it's your da- the daily fact, uh, <laughs> what it what it translates into. So the the problem was that they made an interview with three three lawyers who were the advocates of of the guy filing the court case. Uh, because of his uh, loss of hearing after his brain tumor had to be removed. And uh, even though the, the operation was successful, uh, he lost his hearing for the for the right ear. But <laughs> you are talking about something that is a, a health issue. And you have three lawyers talking about it. And no doctor... Not a single medical professional was asked, and I couldn't. I couldn't really find any articles on on this topic uh, in Italian newspapers that that would actually ask the opinion of an expert. And I could not find the about find out that about the court case either. So I'm not sure if uh, it was ruled without that kind of expert opinion and with with that knowledge that the science doesn't show any correlation 
or um, or it was just decided. Because if it was decided by the court itself and by the judge without taking uh, public uh, scientific facts into consideration, that's a very bad sign. That's that's something. That's a road we don't want to go down because no, it's, sci- it's a scientific sci- issue. Yeah, science is not determined in courts. That, yeah, that, exactly. Lawyers are experts on law, not on health and on, on physiology. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is ridiculous. And what, what's even worse about that is that it sets an example. It's it's an actual precedent uh, for the future. And not only for... Uh, so And, and that, there's quite a bit of hype around it. It's uh, The ruling was out a couple of days ago. Um, there's going to be a, an appeal, uh, that's for sure, and I'm hoping that it, it's going to elevate the, the the debate about this um, in the public eye, so that that science scientists come out and they say that, come on, this is not an established, a well established ruling, because otherwise it's going to set an example for 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 other cases like this uh, all over the world. Because it's it's it, so so the the hype is about yeah this is the first time uh, of of uh, such a ruling yeah are we really happy about that if it's mm. if it's not based on facts yeah yeah it's just worrying yeah mm-hmm. so the public opinion is being shaped by news and the media and what people read online and uh, the the kind of newspapers that they follow etc um and uh in the recent weeks well actually it was on the 30th of march the society of homeopaths uh, have published or submitted an official complaint uh, against bbc and oh, poor bbc i know right <laughs> because they because they said that that is got a lack of balance in the BBC coverage of homeopathy, uh, homeopathy, and urges to review their approach to coverage of the subject. Um, and like I said, I apologize. Sorry, I mentioned 30th of March. It was 31st of March on the Today program, and it was an interview with Simon Stevens of NHS England. All right. So, and during the today interview, following the wide-ranging discussion of issues around the future of NHS, Sarah Montague, who was the interviewer, suddenly threw a question about the amount spent on homeopathy within the NHS, and uh, they were complaining in that letter that uh, spending four million per year out of hundred and ten billion NHS budget uh, is um, not a lot of money. And some, somewhat, th- this whole discussion m- made them um, upset. The, the Society of Homeopaths upset, and they demanded that the BBC coverage in the future would be more balanced. And I assume that they, when by balanced, they mean favorable of homeopathy. Oh yeah, hmm. yeah, sure. And uh, they concluded by saying, "We look forward to BBC programs uh, which fulfill its mission to explain and provide balance and coverage of the positive effects of homeopathy." Well, I hope that will never happen because um, there are no positive effects of homeopathy other than placebo effects that are questionable and, and not being studied enough at best. So it'll be interesting to see what the response will be from BBC side. I mean, I think it's a very political <laughs> debate and they have to be treading carefully. But whatever the, the response is, we, we're all hoping that BBC should, well, and will in the future become a much more outspoken defender of the scientific truth on homeopathy on, or any other topic. And they shouldn't be uh, afraid of it. And um, and it's not unbiased when you um, discuss what works and what doesn't in health or any other areas. And I think it's wrong to provide the same platform to two yeah. issues, one of which is, is scientifically proven to work and another that isn't like homeopathy. No, but it's Actually, a que- the question of false balance. If you if you yeah. if you have a, you know the classic example, if you have the a flat earther re- saying that the earth is flat, you don't yeah. give that person as much no. attention as a person no. who says, "Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, not, it's for science the, because there's never going to be there's never going to be any space for equal debate or, or biased, uh, unbiased, balanced opinion." It's... No, all, all ideas are not worth the same. Yeah, absolutely, and that's true. That's true. And so that's I true. hope that BBC will rise to the occasion and 
responds in a, um, well, the only way possible, really, but uh, we'll see. I'm a bit sceptical about that. <laughs> well, politics. And well, we'll call our friends on the Good Thinking Society and they will fix the problem if there's any problem. They seem <laughs> oh, to yeah. be fixing a lot of things in the UK at the moment. I know I will not be very popular with uh, what I'm going to say about mm. the BBC because uh, there is a tendency to to actually hate the BBC for their news coverage and everything, especially about politics uh, regarding Brexit. It was that there have been a couple of terrible, terrible issues like the the BBC not reporting on on the march for EU um from London they, they were the only news outlet not reporting um, um that um whatsoever but that is because BBC is right now in a difficult situation they have been threatened f- with with uh, budget cuts um because they were accused of um, a biased view on political issues by the Brexiters. Hmm. So, so, so they and, look like all, almost being blackmailed into yeah, something. yeah. So they are trying to be, uh, they're trying to stay away from from this issue. And I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm not saying that this is right. But the BBC operates on a budget. Okay, it's it's based on the TV license that we pay for, but still, Parliament, British Parliament, Parliament can actually decide to to cut that budget, and uh, then the BBC is screwed. So, even though we've known the BBC for ages for being quite balanced actually if something too much of that because because of that false balance that Pontus talked about yeah it's difficult yeah. and when we when we consider all the documentaries and science shows and everything that 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 they have done then they have served the public very well in that regard uh promoting science and a scientific worldview uh yeah it's not it's not that clear cut, I think. And imagine the homeopath teaming up with Brexiters. <laughs> okay, then they have they have. Um, well, then we will have homeopathic hand. Brexit, and that's going to mean that we're still going to be part of Europe. The, the less people that leave the EU, the better it is. Then, or how does that work? Oh, I would like to give the credit to to Yanana's joke. It it deserves. So it was a good one, actually. (laughs) Thanks, Andres. (laughs) Uh, And also, I think what uh, homeopathy society explores exploits here is the um, the rule of who shouts the most gets whatever. You know, so they're just gonna complain and post all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well. There is another issue when it comes to the uh, shaping of public opinion, and that is online media, and especially Google and Facebook. And we've talked about uh, the proposed changes um, um, in Google's, uh, Facebook's uh, algorithms and Google's search engine algorithms as well. But now something has actually happened, and that is the fact-check label for search results uh, by Google. Really? And I'm it was announced right about two weeks ago, and it, it's now up and running. It's operational, actually. I have tried and I have checked it. Um, we wanted to do um, um, a segment earlier on um, and one of the on one of the earlier episodes about um, um, mm-hmm. the Eiffel Tower being illegal to take photos of. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was so happy that we didn't do it actually, because on the uh, couple of days afterwards, I heard it covered on the reality check. Okay. So what I did, I did check it when I I started um, illegal Eiffel Tower photos, and then I think it was on the second page, uh, it came up with uh, the hit, and underneath the hit, the link, there was a line saying fact-checked by snobs.com. And the result of the fact-check mm-hmm. says true. And mm-hmm. there are other, there are already 115 organizations doing fact-checks for Google. 
And uh, if there are other organizations that want to do it, uh, there are a couple of uh, technical issues that they need to solve and they, they need to adhere to um, um, a couple of uh, rules and regulations by Google. So um, that is not very clear cut. Um, but but I'm pretty sure um, proper fact-checking organizations will be able to meet the, the criteria and they should. It's launched as an international kind of effort, so hoping for uh, different languages um, to be able to use that as well, because it's something that we all need. It's a small step for the average user of um, of Google, but it's a huge step forward to actually distinguish between facts and falsehoods. That's so. pretty interesting. I think we're just in the start of a of a new development where where yeah. uh, we will see how important players like Google or Facebook or Twitter or whatever is trying to fight back on on yeah on on uh, this fake news things. I, I think we'll it'll change many times before we before it's matured but it's good to see the the first attempts and i'm pretty sure that it's driving an actual uh, social change as well uh, for mm-hmm. example we we've been accused uh, many many times of uh, wanting to discourage people from using homeopathic medicine i don't mind people using homeopathic medicine as long as they know what they're doing mm. so it's just the well-informed choices that that we're after if sure. you do know that it's pure placebo and you still want to go for it, go for it. Mm. That's your choice. But yeah, but when it comes to regulations and, and legislations, that's a different thing. But please make sure that you base your decisions and opinions on information, proper information. And this is a very important step forward to achieve that goal. I think that has been all the news that we wanted to cover this week, uh, which means we are ready to move on to the next segment presented by Pontus. Let's hear who's been really wrong lately. All right. So uh, this time I'm going after another pet peeve of mine, so-called experimental treatments without proven efficacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is Particularly distasteful, uh, not just because it's rather yucky, but also because it's been given to an autistic child. And the story is about a family in Redbridge in northeast of London who got the advice from an unnamed so-called specialist in the US to treat their son's uh, autistic uh, symptoms with helminths. So, well, that's a new word for me, so... (laughs) What it is, it is intestinal parasites. And in no. this case, we're talking about tapeworms. No. So what you do in this treatment is you order tapeworm eggs online. They are microscopic, microscopic, so you can't see them. And you make the person, the patient, if you will, drink them in water and basically infect the patient with tapeworms. This supposedly changes the microbiome of the gut to reduce infections. And uh, that should happen because the worm infection stimulates the immune system. There have been some speculations in the alt-med circles about linking inflammation with autism, so I guess that's why they make this connection. Sorry, are you getting sick, Jelena? (laughs) It's really disgusting. It's very disgusting. So I had to look into this. Uh, and there has been some research. I, I, I looked at PubMed, which is a site which is an archive of research papers. And on PubMed, which is accessible to to the public, at least you can read the abstract of, of the studies, I found about 50 studies involving helminths. But they don't really look at autism. They look at uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, asthma, and a few other things. Uh, and even for those, I can't find any good results. So um, more research is needed. That's how all the the, the studies uh, conclude. But back to the case with this boy. In the Daily Mail, no less. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. 
they are reporting on this case and they say that this family have seen an improvement after the treatment. His, and that means the boys, and that's in quotation, his attention has improved and he's now very sociable and can maintain eye contact with strangers. But if you dig a little, if you read a little bit deeper in the text, they were also recommended to, to use conventional medicine, which was not specified. So uh, how do you know what made the difference? You don't, but oh, yeah. they obviously assigned it to the womb. Yeah. Classic. And in addition, <laughs> and in addition, he was also recommended a new diet, in quotation marks, and homeopathy. So uh, there are actual four <laughs> factors out of which at least two are known or believed to be absolutely useless. Nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very well done by the Daily Mail, who went with the headline, Severely Autistic Boy for is on the road to recovery after undergoing worm therapy. And oh worm God. therapy was in in, in uh, all caps, of course. So it's no, a classic case of propagating nonsense. It is, it is. And the, the, what really kills me about this is that mm-hmm. there is an imminent danger now that desperate mm-hmm. parents all over the place are going to infect their autistic children with tapeworm because they read it in the paper and, of course, it has to be right. Actually, are we sure that um, that they that they actually get the tapeworm? I mean, if, if you, you it could be it could be a placebo treatment. You did say that the the tapeworm eggs are mm, uh, mm. invisible to yeah, the indeed, eye because yeah. they're microscopic. Yeah. Imagine if it's just a placebo thing. Maybe so, they're homo- homeopathic tapeworm eggs, so you can't So uh, they no. believe that they got something and sure, they, they act, yeah. act like it. No, but apparently there is at least one company in the UK who is licensed to sell tapeworm eggs as uh, health treatment or, or supplement or something. What? Which to me, it, yeah. To me, it sounds crazy, but that's what, according to the Daily Mail, that's what that's what they say. So I don't know. It there and there has been others. You know, looking at PubMed, there were others more serious research, and they didn't involve tapeworm, but they involved other kinds of similar things. And in those tests, they did intentionally infect the subjects with some kind of intestinal well bug and then they gave after the the trial was over they gave them uh, uh, what what do you call that something to to kill the the these infections mm. just to test it so um i don't know I, I i you know you know even if this works this this is you know disgusting and is, and, and yeah. all of, yeah, it is but even if it would work at least against infections Mm-hmm. The thing is, you cannot propagate this until you are absolutely sure and you've done all the tests. You cannot tell people to do this without the scientific data. Yeah. And some of these trials have been going on for 40 years and there's still no conclusive evidence, which to me indicates that it wouldn't work. And yeah. that's just talking about the infection then you have to prove that infection rates are actually a part of curing autism, which is far from proven. It's not even, I think, a valid hypothesis at this time. So, crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, and as far as, and as, far as I know, I haven't done any research, but um, as far as I know, as far as I can remember... Um, autism is not even a curable thing because it's it's a it's it's a condition it's not it's not even, even a disease, a disease. It's, 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 no, genetic, it's, not it's a genetic thing isn't it you can't we don't, yeah, yeah, i yeah, don't it's... think we want to say that because i don't think we well pro, pro, very probably it's something genetic but i don't think we can say at this point we don't really know what it is but it's not an infection that we no. know that's that much we definitely know yeah it's not an infection yeah terrible so, for being out of the ordinary irresponsible, even for them, the daily fail gets today's prize for being really wrong. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. All right. 
Um, let's listen to a couple of radio ads for uh, friends in skepticism and see what they have to tell us about themselves and their work. Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews, and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. in or near Glasgow or are you planning to visit sometime then you're in luck because Glasgow Skeptics have got your Monday nights sorted we're committed to filling up every available Monday night with talks on science and scepticism past speakers include Eugenie Scott Jerry Coyne Michael Marshall Nate Phelps Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance PZ Myers Richard Wiseman AC Grayling Noah Heath and Eli from The Scathing Atheist Simon Singh, Rebecca Watson and a multitude of local academics and sceptics. There's literally nothing better you can do on a Monday night in Glasgow that doesn't involve taking your clothes off. So come join us. We've also got a vibrant online community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and get involved with the discussion. Glasgow Sceptics. Self-help for your brain. Good. And after that, I'm afraid we don't have anything else but to close the show. And the best thing to do it is always a nice quote. And I do have a quote in the spirit of the last week's March for Science. Are you alive and over 40 years old? You are welcome. Science. <laughs> I love it. That's very I good. just love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. I like it. I like it. Think. I think yeah, I couldn't have yeah. put it better myself. No, no, no. Yeah, very good. No, no, no. And actually I've been I've been um trying to find a, the best way to translate into Hungarian but it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> um, because that uh, that particular expression towards the end that you're welcome without an actual thanks, it sounds it sounds weird in Hungarian. So yeah. same in uh, Russian. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, but I I mm. really want to <laughs> have yeah. it in Hungarian. Need to come up with that with our own. Okay, good, very good science. I think that's the best word to to finish the show on. Yes. All right. I'd like to thank both of you, um, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you, pleasure. So until next week, goodbye. 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 Bye. And science. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. It was a good turnout. I met uh, somebody, uh, uh, some friends. <laughs> And uh, it sounded as if you found your soulmate or something. (laughs) 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 Okay. Am I boring you, Yellow? No, no.
Fine, what what did Google say? <laughs> no, she's just part of the cheerleader uh, section. Ah, you're a cheerleader. <laughs> okay. No, not pants. No, <laughs> no, no, not pants. Pants. Mm-hmm. Have you found it, Yana? No. That I'm I'm just gonna quickly cover afterwards. Oh, I got it. Excellent. Fact check. Hey. Quality. Fact. Pants on oh fire. Oh my god. 